Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks, too. Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wright's series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. It's a it's a little bit of a mini plague going on over here at what my do you, house. What do you mean? Well, uh, my son was feeling intense stomach pains on Friday night, about the time that I was watching Ant-Man, actually. <laughs> and, uh, was it an alien? Uh, it wasn't an alien. About I to was have a little, chest burst? little disappointed that yeah, uh, it I wasn't too. something more excited. But um, so, of course, my wife took him to urgent care, and they're like, whoa, he's got 102 fever, and he's got intense stomach pains. You better take him to the emergency room. Because this might be an alien. Because <laughs> it could be an alien. <laughs> this might be the start of the infestation taking over the earth. <laughs> I think those were his exact words, actually. I wish doctors would say more stuff like that. I'm just I messing do. with you, but it might I be. too. I do, too. Doctors <laughs> really aren't very fun. No. Uh, so then I, uh, so then she took him to the ER, and they looked at him, and they're like, well, it could be appendicitis. Ooh. I think they were secretly like, it's an alien, but we're not going to tell them. <laughs> we're just going to wait till the third cause, act twist. Because uh, really, all hope is lost. What's the point of <laughs> No, so so they they go through this whole process, and then they're like, "Well, you could spend the night and have X-rays in the morning, or you could just take him home and supervise him there." So she's like, "I'll just take him home, thanks." So he came home, and you know, he seemed fine, except that he had a fever all weekend. But his stomach—he kept complaining about his stomach. Yeah. So finally, on Monday, he's—I uh, I take him to work with me because he's just you know seeming. Uh, he doesn't have a fever anymore, but he's just complaining about his stomach constantly. So I'm like, all right, I'll take him to work, let him rest on the couch, and uh, and then maybe take him to the doctor in the afternoon. So I, But I leave early because he's just in so much pain. I take him to the doctor, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's got strep throat. Like, strep throat? Strep throat? No, strep stomach. <laughs> Check again. <laughs> it's in his stomach. Oh, it's it's the great masquerader. It can sometimes appear like in the, the stomach. The great like, masquerader. I've never heard this what? before. My entire life has always been what? strep throat. When is it transmutated into something that affects your stomach? Pray tell, what kind of a doctor are you seeing? <laughs> Well, he does wear a red nose and a, and a rainbow a rainbow wig. Big shoes. This is not good. All but right. Then, then of course, I like. Well, I better get everybody checked because we've all been swimming and hanging out and and sharing food and, and not worried about it being contagious. And of course, my daughter has it. My wife has it. And somehow, I magically skirted it. Wow. But I'm still I'm still waiting for my negative test. You know, if you get a negative strep test, they send it off to get a bake test. I don't know what, exactly what they're baking with it. <laughs> but test. there's still a possibility I may have it, although I don't feel sick, so I kind of doubt it. It but may it's be like, masquerade. You know, it's a great masquerader, Andy. I know it could be masquerading as a hangnail. For yeah, all I was I just gonna say, have you stubbed your toe recently? Do you have <laughs> any right. sort of? <laughs> it's strep. <laughs> oh. so, I'm yeah. so sorry to hear that you are a uh, hot zone. You're a regular yeah, outbreak. It, it really is. Somebody it's, call it's Hoffman. Like, 
our house looks like Breaking Bad. We've got kind of the the fumigating tarp over the whole house just to keep it uh, <laughs> keep the disease uh, so out. Good. Are you tent? Do you tent your children when they get sick? <laughs> there, we just tent them into your rooms, zip them in. That's right. See you in forty eight hours, kids. <laughs> That's pretty good. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. I'm sorry they're feeling they're feeling uh, ill, and I'm glad that you are uh, feeling okay. Somebody's got to take care of the troops. That's right. That's right. I, I'm me. still stuck on this that you that you were able to take your uh, nearly chest bursting son to work with you to just hang out on the couch. <laughs> like nobody else at work is concerned about being sick. Well, we thought it was just a little stomach thing. We thought it maybe it might. It, I mean, our thing was it's probably appendicitis, and he's we're just waiting for more pain so we can take him to the emergency room and get yeah, an of operation course. done until people come in your office and say, "Yo, Andy, uh, you see your son's bleeding out his eyeballs, right?" <laughs> right, and those uh, little aliens think, scurrying around on the floor. So I don't know. <laughs> I see ear blood. That's not right. <laughs> This is the next real MP, right? And that there's Andy Nelson. Hello. And we spoil movies tonight on the show. The first in our 2015 duo of guilty pleasures with Andy's pick. It's Nicholas Meyer's 1985 comedy, Volunteers. But before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you, like so many of our listeners, face the daily dilemma of sharing your allegiance between native drug lords, ridiculously stereotyped communist militants, and the Peace Corps, then you should probably head over to instagram.com slash thenextreel and play the Next Reel's Instagram hashtag ponyprize hashtag guess the movie challenge. And for that, we turn to our dear colleague Stephen Smart benevolent dictator of Instagram for the latest Stephen. Hey guys, Stephen here. The winner this week was friend of the show at Glarsid, who figured it out on MH3. This week's movie was The One I Love, a fun indie flick from last year starring Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss. So congrats at Glarsid, you are entered once again to win the Tony Prize. As always, a new challenge starts Friday, so thanks, guys, and see you later. Mm, Andy, let's do trailers. So my trailer this week, Pete, is a fun, I think it's a fun family, uh, I don't want to call it a horror film, but kind of a spooky film for the family that's coming out October, uh, what was it, October 16th, I believe. Um, it's going to be Goosebumps, the new film based on, not really completely based on R.L. Stein's books, but kind of based on, uh, it, it's a fictionalized version of R.L. Stein, the author. This young, uh, new kids move in next door and they befriend R.L. Stein's kids. And... They they accidentally open up some secret books that R.L. Stein has, this fictionalized R.L. Stein played by Jack Black. They accidentally open up some of these books that actually are kind of the, uh, the inspirational um, monsters that R.L. Stein used to write his books. 
it looks like a really fun way to kind of incorporate the Goosebumps stories into a movie. I mean, I, I don't know how many R.L. Stein uh, Goosebumps books there are. I'm guessing it's quite a few. I know my daughter, um, she did discover the show last year and she watched it for uh, a little while. She had fun watching that show. I never, I think it was past my time to be enjoying uh, kind of these young kids' books that were kind of scary. But if if this came out when I was a kid and these books came out when I was a kid, I would have just eaten them up. I, it's like totally right up my alley. This looks like a really fun film that is something my kids, well, at least my older daughter, is probably just going to love. I think my son might be a little too scared for it, but you know, you never know. I mean, he really enjoyed Jurassic World, so... Um, I, I love the tone of it. I love the way that they're uh, they're taking the direction with this story. And uh, I, I mean, it looks a lot of fun. Scott Alexander and Larry uh, Karaszewski are two of the writers behind this. They, um, interestingly, were the guys behind, um, oh, what was the, what, the People versus Larry Flint? <laughs> uh, so it's completely different. But then again, on the other hand, they also did the remake of That Darn Cat. So I think they've always kind of played both sides, 1408 to Agent Cody Banks to Big Eyes. Uh, and so this is one that they're uh, credited with the story. And then Darren Lemke um, is the one who wrote the screenplay. And, and uh, Darren Lemke has written big things such as Turbo, the snail movie, and Jack the Giant Slayer, and the uh, last of the Shrek films, Shrek Forever After. So, I, you know, I'm really curious about this. It looks like something's going to be a lot of fun for the kids. I'm sure I'm going to have fun with my daughter watching this when it comes out in October. I I hope uh, that that it is good. I The only thing that... That makes me nervous is that, you know, it's uh, directed by Rob Letterman, and uh, Rob Letterman was behind Shark Tale, Monsters vs. Aliens, and Gulliver's Travels, the Jack Black version, and including Goosebumps, so far he's, you know, 0 for 4. Like, they're, the, the last, those those first three films are, were not good. And, uh, I would say Monsters vs. Aliens is a bit of a guilty pleasure over this house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it, it was a lead balloon in our house. Like, nobody ever wanted to see it again. Both that and Shark's Tale, like, it never made it into rotation. Like, everybody saw it once, and they're like, moving on. And uh, and so that that has me a little bit nervous. Uh, yeah. And and Jack Black is a hit or miss. You know, I'll tell you one that, that uh, did make it into rotation, School of Rock, weirdly. Like, th- they dig Jack Black in that movie. Uh, which I, I didn't connect with very much, but uh, but you know the the kids loved it. They had a blast with that movie. So yeah. I don't know. Jack Black is a he's kind of an unknown quantity. So we'll see how it works. But I'm with you. I mean, it looks fun, and and I like the idea of these kind of scary films. Uh, you know, targeted to the younger uh, audience, done in kind of a sweet way, a funny way. I think that's a good way to introduce them to this. You know, kind of a different genre. So I'm I'm excited for it. I yeah. could probably use it. Frankly. <laughs> there you go. This will be one for JJ. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right. Good news. All right. My trailer uh, just came out uh, Came out last week. It was trailer two uh, for Spectre. Now, we've already done trailer one as a, uh, for Spectre as a pick. And yes, uh, that, right. there was, there was uh, great excitement, as expected, about uh, the next uh, Bond film. And so trailer two comes out. And I'll tell you, it, it frustrates me a little bit. Uh, you said that earlier, and I'm, uh, you really piqued my curiosity. I want to know what it is that's bothering you so much about this trailer. It is. It just. It reeks to me of 
it's just there's a lot of rehash in it, right? It just feels like a lot of rehash. That's what makes me nervous. So M, we've got a new M, and he's mad at Bond. Oh, goodness. So Bond has done something. He's made M mad. But but they ended on the last film, and M and Bond were doing very well together. So, okay, well, I've I've lived in a universe where M is mad at Bond. Uh, I can I can move through that. Uh, so Bond is once again on the outs. Well, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit tired of Bond being on the outs. Like, I, he's on the outs all the time. I don't think Daniel Craig has ever played Bond on the ins uh, <laughs> through any consistent uh, uh, film. But he's on the outs again. Okay, okay. A, a car? Well, he's got the car. He's got a fancy car. Uh, got the Austin Martin, and it's fast and sleek, and now it has gadgets. Q says it's got some gadgets, tricks up its sleeve, he says. But the whole reason I like Daniel Craig's Bond is that it is back to basics. It's like this, it, it is thuggish and brutish, and I'm, I've moved on from the gadgets. That was so 80s. Like, I'm ready to move on from that. And, and I th- just when I think, you know, maybe we have this big muscle car race, then he pushes a button and fire shoots out the rear end. So it does have gadgets and, and stupidness. I'm so done with that. Uh, I, I love the Jaguar that, um, that uh, what's it, David, um, what's his name, the thug? The bad guy. Can't think of his name. He was in uh, 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 the the Dave David Batista. Batista. Dave Batista. Right. So he, it, Mr. Hinks, he drives the the uh, custom Jag, and and so they they have this uh, race through Rome that looks very very exciting. But it just I'm I'm it it screams of sort of Roger Moore Timothy Dalton era kind of thing. Then they got the plane flying through the forest with the wings getting cut off in the trees, and it sleds down the hill. And if that's not Roger Moore uh, Bond, I don't know what is. Blech. And then they roll a helicopter. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, now we have a San Andreas helicopter thing. You can't, like, that's stuff that just bugs me. And it's f- just feeling like it is, it's moving in the wrong direction. It's like, it's, it's, the pendulum is swinging too far back the other way. And then we get the Christoph Waltz, I am your father tone uh, uh, when he meets James Bond, and I, that just—it's feeling a little bit creepy to me. That's gonna—that's gonna ruin the whole thing. Wow, you—you you have some serious issues. <laughs> I, it, you know what the problem is? This is the same thing we talked about in our film board. They these franchises have a responsibility to uh, to the series now, right? I mean, the the stakes are are high to the series. I want to have a good time, but I also feel like they're moving in a direction. They have me. They they had me. They even they had me with Skyfall. Like I, I actually enjoyed Skyfall. I walked it, watched it again the other day. I really, I, I enjoyed it. And I feel like if this is a swing back to more of the, uh, the gadget friendly Bond, I'm, I, I'm maybe time for me to take a Bond vacation, a Bondcation. Well, first of all, gadgets have been going on in the Bond world since the beginning. Not in the last couple of movies. It's been gadget light. No, yeah, right. I, I know, but you're 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 blaming it all on the Roger Moore era when Sean Connery. No, had no, no. You're plenty, right. Plenty, plenty of gadgets. You're right, and I would say that Sean. I I actually like the Sean Connery era uh, gadgets. I think that the '60s kind of '60s '70s Bond was probably better for me uh, in terms of gadgets. I I lost uh, the the Roger Moore Moonraker era. I just uh, I I did not do well with that. Um, so well, he's got he's know. got some he's got some stumbles in there, but I don't know. I'm I really enjoy the Bond series. I have a lot of fun with all of them, even some of the bad ones. I, I can still enjoy to a certain extent. I can um, too. I, I I agree with you. I can too. 
And I do really love Daniel Craig's Bond. I, I think that it has taken this kind of darker tone, a little more edgy, a little less of the kind of frivolity that Roger Moore's era certainly had, uh, a little bit more uh, of the roughness that Timothy Dalton's had. This d- did have a little bit of kind of that license to kill sort of vibe, like, you know, you're you're in big trouble this time, Bond. <laughs> The finger wagging. But but oh, I, I really liked it. I got super excited by it. I loved everything that was a problem for you. I thought it was all fantastic. <laughs> and I can't wait to see it. So there. <laughs> well, uh, this uh, film has still uh, is still coming out November 6th since the last time we talked about, uh, about it. So November 6th, 2015. The big news on this is that it's going to be our film board discussion in November. Oh, that's a good point. That's For a, those a good people who are interested in catching up with us. Then. Yes, we will be doing the show then, mm-hmm. and and we should add the. Um, uh, the film board uh, has been decided for the remainder of the year. All the films are up on letterboxd.com slash the next reel. So you can see what we're doing, uh, both Andy and I on the regular show and all of the film board shows through twenty end of 2015. Yep. All right. Well, Andy. Pete. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to skin you. And I'm going to use your shin bone for a pencil box. It is our responsibility today to live in our own world. And to identify the need. I need twenty-eight thousand dollars to pay off a gambling debt, or else I'm a dead man. You've been a constant source of embarrassment, irritation, ever since your mother and I brought you home that day from the orphanage. Orphanage, father. I am not adopted. I am your son. I know, I know, I know. But please allow me that little fantasy. I need the money. No. I'd rather take the place on this plane. You see, some very dangerous and, and primitive people are after me. Oh, you, you, you can't. This is the Peace Corps. I'm traveling halfway around the world to help a bunch of half-starved, oppressed human beings. So this is hell. No turning back now, huh? <laughs> Tom Tuttle, Tacoma, Washington. You mean you've just been trying to go to bed with me? Well, I think I put in the hours, don't you? It's not that I, I, I can't help these people. It's just that... I don't want to. Bridge! Bridge! Build! Bridge! 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 Good! All right! This is good! Why do you guys think you can come here and turn everything upside down? Blackjack is the game. Opium is my business. The bridge mean more traffic. More traffic mean more business. More business mean more money. More money mean more power. Do you know where you are? My guess is I'm in the clutches of the angry pink menace. You will be brainwashed. Me? America's son? Ha! That will be a challenge. You bet. We must always be on our guard. Sure, we'll lose a lot of snooze time, but that's okay. We'll catch up after the revolution's over. That's enough, Tom. You can't be part of this if you're doing it for yourself. What have you learned, Dorothy? Here we go, Andy. Uh, We got Volunteers, 1985, uh, from director Nicholas Meyer, written by Keith Critchlow, Ken Levine, and uh, uh, David Isaacs. Stars Tom Hanks, John Candy, Rita Wilson, it's a big three. Uh, Tim Thomerson and Getty Watanabe uh, definitely uh, play a big role in there. Oh, yes. Uh, along with a, a fun uh, set of supporting cast members uh, that uh, you've likely seen uh, elsewhere. 
This is right. your guilty pleasure. This is. This definitely is. The film, uh, it, it, well, I, do you want to do the honors and, and talk about, uh, talk about <laughs> what the film is about? Volunteers. Yes, yeah, sure. This it, it takes place in 1962, shortly after the Peace Corps was created by JFK, and it is about a. Uh, <laughs> it follows Lawrence Bourne the Third, played by Tom Hanks, who is um, very, uh, very uh, erudite, elite sort of money. Uh, East Coast sort of guy, and he owes a lot of money. He's just graduating from Yale. He has uh, $28,000 in debt that he owes to a bookie, and he tries to get it from his father, but uh, his father won't give it to him. And so in order to avoid getting killed by uh, by the bookie's uh, henchman, he trades places with his roommate, and jumps on to a, by by trading his girlfriend and his car, he trades places with him to jump onto a plane to join the Peace Corps and is sent off to Thailand where he now has to uh, actually help people. That's, uh, I guess, the long and the short of it. <laughs> you go to Loon Ta. Loon Ta. Loon Ta. Ah, yes. Uh, the, the, um, it's, it's not a, it's not a great film. Okay. It may it may not be a great film, but it is still a very fun film, and I still think it is a very funny film. And I can watch this film, <laughs> and despite all of its flaws, I can still uh, laugh myself silly with it, find myself quoting way too many of the lines from it, and I just have a wonderful time every time I put this on. I can absolutely understand that. <laughs> I really can. I genuinely can understand that. There are some very funny uh, bits in it. The uh, John Candy uh, plays uh, Tom Tuttle from Tacoma, and he is a gung ho all American. Uh, you know, sings the Washington fight song, and uh, uh, as he uh, you know goes to to change the world, he's an engineer, and mm-hmm. he's charged with building a bridge. Uh, he's going to connect these. Uh, this this village to the broader country, the village of right. Lunta. He's going to connect it to the and he's he's got Rita Wilson and, and now Tom Hanks to help him in this in this endeavor. And I find John Candy's Tom Tuttle to be super funny and way underused in the film. He is. It's it's it is kind of uh, disappointing that he does disappear for a chunk of it yes. when he's off getting brainwashed. But the funniest bit to me in the film, still to this day, is the moment when he's walking through the jungle looking for the trees, and he comes across the tiger, <laughs> <laughs> and his little conversation with that tiger is one of the funniest things. I, I maybe it's just me, but I that's just something that I have uh, quoted inappropriately. <laughs> For way too long. Would you like to? Would you like to do the scene now? <laughs> You're a big kitty cat. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, what a big cat! <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh uh, yes, pretty good, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it is uh, it is very funny, and and then for him to back up and be caught in a tiger trap while running from a tiger, trapped in a tiger a trap by a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so he is then captured by the communists, the military, and he is brainwashed 
to uh, beca- to be a traitor to the Peace Corps. So uh, he, which which is interesting because all there there are three factions, and check me on this because I've only seen this film once. Mm-hmm. I don't have the, you know, the history with it that you that you have the intimacy facility, right. There, there are these three factions. There's the Peace Corps. They just want to help the villagers of Lunta. There is the there, there's the the communists. They want the bridge so that they can spread the the manifesto. Correct. Okay. So what they want is they brainwash John Candy so that he can uh, he can help build the bridge faster. Ensure that it gets done. Ensure right. that it gets done. So. Uh, and then we have the drug lords, the leader of the black market. Chun-Mi. Right? Chun-Mi, right. And they capture Tom Hanks at a poker game. Uh, Tom Hanks's uh, character, Lawrence Watley-Born III. And they want also want him to build the bridge faster. So all of these maniacal uh, uh, entities. Well, and, and you're forgetting the CIA also wants the bridge to be built. Yes, that, that is yes. true. Right. So everybody wants the bridge to be built. No one wants the bridge to be destroyed at this point, which is usually where the conflict arises. At this point, I'm thinking to myself, well, isn't this great? Everybody wants a bridge. <laughs> well, <laughs> except for the villagers, which is But great. we don't we find, find that out, out until right. the end, right? right? I mean, that's, that's not something <laughs> we find out until sort of hindsight. Exactly. Um, uh, but all of these things are, yeah, it's, it's done without really even asking the villagers, Hey, what do you what do you think about it's this just, bridge? Right, it's assuming that the villagers yeah. just want the bridge. Who wouldn't want a bridge? <laughs> so, uh, and so the bridge gets built, and that's when things start to to uh, fall apart. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot going on. You got Lawrence Bourne the third here, Tom Hanks's character, who is uh, stuck in this place where he really doesn't want to be and wants to figure out a way to get home. Uh, and then Rita Wilson's character, Beth, who of course, they're going to fall for each other. That's just how these movies go. Who is so upset at him for, for making a pass at her, for not being interested in helping. Uh, he just is, is gambling with all the people, and everything is coming really easy for him. Uh, she totally is the person who is born to do kind of the Peace Corps sort of work. And then John Candy, as you said. And then, of course, Getty Watanabe here in the village, who is kind of the translator. He's the only one who can speak English, and so he's kind of their connection. And it's just, yeah, it's just this this fun character of of uh, Lawrence who is just a fish out of the water. He's totally in the wrong place. And it's amazing watching how this spoiled rich kid is able to just adapt so easily to his surroundings and make everything work for him. I think that's great. And it's just, it's fun. It works really well for this character. And whether it's in the village, uh, playing poker or trying to get them to do things in relation to building the bridge or making deals with uh, Chung Mi. All of it comes really easy for Lawrence. And Tom Hanks, I think, plays that kind of character really well. He may not hold his kind of that pompous accent that he has um, all the time. He falls in and out of it quite a bit. But it's, it's just a fun situation that these guys are in, I think. It is a terrible accent. <laughs> and and the problem is is that Tom Hanks as a as a person is he's too affable to play that unlikable at this point in his life, right? Like I I think he he ends up becoming a, a character that can play more sort of 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 this guy later in his career. But at this point, 
you just watch him with this accent and you think, gosh, you know, this is this is the bosom buddies kid, right? I mean, he's just he's just young and funny and and uh I, I didn't buy him as the as the spoiled rich kid from the second the, the movie started. That doesn't mean it wasn't you know, it wasn't you know, funny, but it was just hard to take seriously. And I was comparing it to well, first it's pretty easy to compare it to other later um you know, Tom Hanks roles like Jimmy Dugan in League of Their Own, you know, and and particularly uh, his character Alan in Splash, because, you know, mostly because it's a John Candy thing. And both of those characters, their relationship is so good together in Splash uh, and so funny. Like their their moments are so funny and so natural that that um it's just a reminder that this was early in their careers and they you know they're doing you know they're they're still kind of novice and i i have to think of it that way in order to get it but then i was comparing it to to movies that like uh caddyshack right yeah where uh it it's a sort of lampoons this whole environment in this case we've got the peace corps in caddyshack's case we've got the uh you know the caddy environment at the the upper class club and in Caddyshack, I find myself, uh, there isn't a single character from the judge to Danny to uh, uh, to uh, uh, Bill Murray to, I mean, you just, there isn't a character in there that I don't believe sure. in, in their role. Same thing with a film like Vacation, right? I mean, it's a similar kind of vibe at, that it, it, I buy the comedy from the first minute to the to the closing credits. And in this film, this is where I struggled. And I think this is why the film doesn't have that much of a popular uh, uh, following. I mean, it's 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, it, although it has a higher critical uh, acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes. But I just think the comedy isn't as believable um, in its own context, in its own universe. Uh, as as other better films, and that was that was sort of where I fell up. I, I, it fell apart for me. I find the the individual lines, the the sequence on the plane, and you probably have it memorized. When John Candy is explaining his special expertise as a, a psychological motivator, mm-hmm. I was in stitches. Like that was fan. Fantastic that bit between the two of them as as Lawrence sits down on the plane next to next to him, right. uh, and so these little sequences I I thought were just really priceless little gems of script uh, that just didn't really hold together under the weight of its own kind of complexity. It goes back to that discussion of putting a hat on a hat, right? Like the hat's the joke, and then you start putting putting another hat on top of the hat and you kind of lose the joke. I I definitely agree. I mean, Tom Hanks's performance as Lawrence Bourne III is one of the weak I mean, I I won't say his performance, but his his creation of who this character is 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 the hardest thing to buy in this film and it makes it kind of hard to go along with. Yep. And that I think is the the biggest stumbling block the film had. I don't know if they had if he had played it differently or had been directed differently, or if it had been a different actor in the role, if it had, if it would have worked better. Um, it's it's just one of those things. That it, I think the funny thing about guilty pleasures is they seem to strike at a certain point in your life when the you are in a you're in a place where you're not as uh, uh, trained to judge things, maybe, or maybe you're just not in a space of judging. And so you're more easily just pulling all of that stuff in as, Hey, this is fine. I don't have any problems with it. Yes. Um, and I, and, and this definitely hit, I mean, I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it until a couple years later on video, 
but it still hit at a perfect age for me where everything in it just worked to a T, even Tom Hanks's performance. And I just love it, and I can still watch it and love everything about it, even though now I can watch it completely acknowledging everything you're saying and knowing that that his performance as Lawrence Bourne the Third is one of the weakest links of the film. Well, and you know, I think that's that's really true, and and I don't. That's why I I don't want to be like you know particularly harsh on the film because, good lord, look at what we're doing next week. Um, I, you know, and so I'm sort of, I'm padding my, my own, uh, uh, my own security blanket here. Uh, but what I, that's why I think it's important as we talk about the film to talk about why it doesn't hold up next to some of these films that really, really do over the years that have become these kind of classics where this one hasn't. I mean, I couldn't find this anywhere. This is a hard film to get, um, you know, if you don't, if you're not on the DVD plan on Netflix and hope you get one that is not scratched and like it doesn't stream <laughs> anywhere, you can't buy it on iTunes. And that, that says something. And yet, why doesn't it hold up? next to other films of the 80s uh, that really do. Let's look at Getty Watanabe. I mean, he came, he's in this film as At-Tune right after playing Long Duck Dong in 16 Candles. Mm-hmm. Right, that that was a legendary character. And in terms of playing a stereotypical, um, you know, horrifically stereotypical Asian character, as he's we've talked about before, oh, yeah. uh, he really was able to kind of write his ticket to, to play in these kinds of comedies. And 16 Candles, I think, has held up more or better than Volunteers. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't like it very much. No, I me neither. Volunteers, I but I would agree. Don't. 16 Candles is the one that people still talk about. It's that John Hughes classic connection with the teenagers. It's teenagers playing teenagers. They, they You can really buy into everything going on in that film. Right. And same and, thing, look at Caddyshack again. Our central character is a teen going through a comedic teen experience of growing up and understanding women and his body and what is going on. Oh, my God, puberty. And, oh, look, weed and golf. Uh, but it, but it is that transformational experience that we're connecting with. Same thing with vacation, right? I mean, here we are. We're either connecting with Chevy Chase as the dad character, and we really have a connection with him. I mean, that was I know when I saw the film with my dad, that's who he was connecting with. And for me, it was, oh my God, I'm connecting with Russ. You know, here's this is this is that that teenage family experience where, you know, you kind of went out. And uh those experiences are, I think, really uh, important when you look at a film like Volunteers. I don't know who to connect with, and I try to put myself even back in in my sort of fifteen, twelve to fifteen year old, let's say fifteen sixteen year old uh, uh, self, and I think who who is it that I really relate to in this film, uh, and I and I don't I can't find it. Well, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I guess I just I, again, it's one of those things. You you watch it at the right time, and you end up connecting with it. Yeah, I don't really know why or wherefore, but somehow it worked for me. And it's and I don't even know. I I think I just connected with it because of Tom Hanks. Because I, even at that age when I first started um, connecting to Tom Hanks and just watching all of his films, um, I I had no problem watching anything he was in, even if the character didn't completely work, Mm -hmm. because I just enjoyed watching him on screen so much. And I still think there are some great Tom Hanks moments in the film where it feels more Tom Hanks than his portrayal of Lawrence Bourne III. 
And so, I, you know, I still found it easy to connect to him. But I, I totally get your point. All right. Well, I don't mean and, to just pile on. Well, and it's interesting because I think I think Getty was uh, less stereotypical in this film as far as kind of a stereotypical Asian character. Far less stereotypical in this film than he was in Sixteen Candles. But uh, and even though he still gets ribbed for his performance in Sixteen Candles, that is still the film that is much more loved. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You're right. He is he is much less stereotypical here. <laughs> yeah. He's actually really funny counter stereotype, right? I mean, um, I think that's part of the comedy of his character being a, a tribesman who spent his time at a at an English school in Thailand in Bangkok, uh, right? And and now you know can hang with the homies. That's right. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Um, Tim Thomerson uh, is a he plays the the liaison between the Peace Corps and Loon Ta, and it turns out he is a CIA um, agent, uh, field agent, and a lunatic. Right. Who who talks to his knife, Mike, <laughs> Mike, and falls for Beth, and that of course uh, creates all the conflict going on in the third act as he kidnaps Beth and takes her to Chung Mi. Because the CIA and Chung Mi are actually working together, uh, all sorts of antics ensue. But uh, his character in this is uh, is one of the sillier things in the film that I have most of my problems with revolve around him. Well, talk about movie. that then. I think that's interesting. What is it? What are your problems with John Reynolds? <laughs> it's it, to me in a film that is already silly this is some of the silliest stuff the fact that he talks to his knife you know that he's got a knife that he talks to and he wants to go you know go hang out with beth just the three of us you know, all of that i think is... <laughs> okay see i thought that was really good i thought that was funny as long well, as we're going to go completely slapstick yeah right no it does go there it definitely does go there and so i mean Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the stuff. I probably enjoyed it a lot more when I was younger, but as I've aged, that's the stuff that I've gotten a little tired of. Yeah. But uh, oddly enough, I haven't gotten tired of Chung Mi or or uh, his uh, wonderful, I'm not sure what she is, assassin slash concubine, Lucille. Lucille. So this is this is something where I, that I thought was interesting. So the film was written uh, by uh, Ken Levine and, uh, as we said, Keith... Critchlow. And on Ken Levine's David Isaacs, yeah. Ken Ken Levine's blog, he has this post uh where he he says the the post is titled The Scene That Ruined Volunteers. Now, hmm. I read that title and I sat up straight because I thought, here's the writer, he's gonna tell me where the film fell apart. Right? I thought this is great, and and as a first time viewer in in my forties, having never seen this film, not having a great connection with it, I thought, man, roll the dice on which film, which scene ruined this movie. I can't <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you say. Uh, so here's the he he says that um, here's the scene that ruined the movie. David and I wrote Volunteers. Tom Hanks stars as a preppy who ducks a gambling debt by joining the Peace Corps in Thailand. We established a character, Lucille, whose English was so bad we needed subtitles. In this scene, played pretty much as written, the director made one change from the original script. He had the characters break the fourth wall and read the subtitles. 
We argued that it destroyed the reality of the film. There was now no jeopardy. It became a Hope Crosby road picture where the fish could talk. The director argued that it got a big laugh. Why would we want to remove a big laugh? The answer was that it destroys the movie. Oh, and her makeup was ridiculous, but that we could live with. The lesson here is never sacrifice the integrity of your piece for the sake of a joke, no matter how funny the joke is. Billy Wilder used to say, why do they remake good movies? They should remake okay movies and make them better. John Krasinski, is Lawrence Bourne anyone? So that's his post. What do you think about that? Because I actually found myself, like, taking note of that scene when I watched it. Like, I I thought that's really strange that these guys are looking down to read the subtitles underneath Lucille's scenes. And I thought it was particularly strange because we had just talked about how about Ant-Man and how clever the Ant-Man storytelling device is, you know, when they're they're um, kind of mm-hmm. lip-syncing to uh, you know, to the, his friend. To his friend. I thought that was really clever. That didn't involve breaking the fourth wall and this is this one did. How did did that does that ever strike you and I'm not saying as the 15-year-old you, but as as Andy Nelson um, you know, modern viewer. It's never, uh, I find it strange. It's never destroyed the movie for me. And even now it doesn't destroy the movie. It's it's a kind of a slapsticky comedy. And I'm not sure the film was ever maybe as as comedically serious as maybe he was portraying it to be. But to me, it does feel very light and it never felt like there was Jeopardy. So I think maybe... <laughs> I think maybe this writer felt that, and I've never read the script, so maybe the script had more weight to it, you know, for all I know. But the way that the movie plays out, I think he's wrong. That's really, that's really funny. There was no Jeopardy. What Jeopardy? How could you kill it? It wasn't there. Yeah, this this was not the Bridge on the River Kwai, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, I'm trying to inject a little meat into it, but you no, absolutely I, have a point. <laughs> I think I think he brings up a really interesting point, though. It's 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 very interesting that different creative people can have such an interesting interpretation of what works and what doesn't work in the creative project that they're working on. He had a very specific uh, vision, and obviously, his co-writer had that same specific vision of what was going to make that the film work and what was going to make that particular scene work. And the director had something else in mind. Uh, and obviously the director got to stick with what he felt was the right decision. And it didn't work for this writer. But for me, I don't think that the film uh, suffers because of it. So, uh, you yeah. know, I, I kind of favor uh, Nicholas Meyer's decision to keep the joke in because I still think it's funny, it, you know, the fact that they do that. And again, it's because there isn't really that jeopardy that he maybe felt that there was going to be in the finished product. Okay, uh, Rita Wilson. Can we talk about Rita Wilson? This is the film. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it's, it's the place where Tom and Rita met and fell in love. But it is the, uh, the place where they reconnected. They had actually met on the set of Bosom Buddies when she was a, a guest on that show. But they reconnected here and... Uh, Next thing you know, they uh, were getting married, and uh, that this was the beginning of the, the very long relationship that they've had since this film. Um, I think she's really cute in the film. I think she kind of plays that that suffering, uh, uh, down to earth, um, young, eager uh, person who wants to help the world and is always fighting to get get 
things the way that she wants them to be. I think she does a great job of playing that character and having to suffer with with this spoiled uh, brat of a person who is helping them. I, I enjoy her in the film. I, I yeah I I mean I totally see that I had a I had trouble with her playing the, buying her as that character and that was that was a for me it was a weak point I I thought she was um uh, there's there's just something about her in in this in this role that I found um kind of at arm's length um like like she was never she never quite fell into into the part for me uh, maybe up until the date at Lawrence's. So there is a sequence where uh, Lawrence, as you, as you rightly said, I mean, this guy, the the character is is quite ingenious, and he just takes any situation, and is able to really turn it into his favor. And in this case, he opens uh, like a nightclub. Right in Lunta, Lawrence's, Lawrence's. It with, is, with neon lights and everything. Yeah, the the, the works. Uh, thanks to his relationship, this is after the bridge is built, and his relationship with the uh, um, with the um, the black marketeer, he's able to get all sorts of good stuff like uh, coke. Uh, it it f- this is pre the days of product placement, but my goodness, that would have been a profitable one. Mm-hmm. I think yes, the, she she drinks that Coke uh, with gusto. Uh, yeah, it was actually, there, this was, uh, a lot of people actually blamed the film as being nothing but a shameless plug. Yeah. Um, even though Coke was written into the script long before uh, the production company that released the film, uh, which owned Coke, ended up uh, ended up taking it on. So Coke was always in the script. It just ended up being a coincidence. So well, and It you know- seemed like plugging it really did but i'll tell you it's a funny thing even as somebody who doesn't drink coke as as somebody who's lived abroad for a long time like there's something that tastes really good about a coke when oh yes when you're when you're in another country and uh yeah anyway so i i I I bought that just fine anyway it was about that sequence where i thought she started becoming more interesting and kind of adopting the role a little bit better introducing her in the beginning i found her a little bit uh, i i just didn't buy it i I thought she's not she's not very good for the part so uh that was that was my take on it particularly because it's in the context like we meet her in the context of john candy who i think is just so great he's so great it just i love watching him so much and i i find him he he adapts uh, himself to the role quite well it's uh, yeah, it's such a loss that uh, that we lost John Candy when we did. I mean, he yeah. was only forty three when he died in ninety four, and I mean, he's just. I mean, there were a lot of really bad movies he made in yeah. the eighties, and I probably saw all of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> but he was also in just a lot of great movies and just so memorable. And he his comedy. Uh, I mean, I never saw any of his stuff that he did with Second City, but clearly that was a great birthplace for him to really grow his comedy because it does always come through in his films. Uh, absolutely, absolutely it does. Um, anyhow, I, I, I had a great time uh, with just just generally, once you sort of let go and start watching the show, I had a good time watching it. It's not a great film. I can see how you are guilty uh, bringing this up. It absolutely fits our objective uh, <laughs> with, with this series, and I am glad to be introduced to it, uh, though I will likely not be watching it again. That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else you want to talk about as your... Uh, as the expert? Well, sure, sure. Um, we should talk about Nicholas Meyer, the director. Yes. Um, Nicholas Meyer is possibly 
at least to us and our circles, best well known as having directed two of the best Star Trek films, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as well as writing Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. So in my mind, he is the reason that I enjoy uh, those Star Trek films. I could not agree more. My favorites of the bunch. Um, And then he uh, was really writer-director for quite a, a while, and I think he's really just kind of stopped with the directing and is just pretty much writing now. But uh, he started as a writer. He wrote the book, The 7% Solution, which was, um, what was that book about? It was about uh, Sherlock Holmes confronting his cocaine addiction with the help of Sigmund Freud. Um, And then he wrote a couple more Sherlock Holmes novels. And then when the movie, The 7% Solution, was bought and uh, or optioned to be made into a film, he wrote the screenplay and was nominated for an Oscar. And uh, that led him to find out about this book time after time, which I've never seen, but it's one of those that has always piqued my curiosity because it is, isn't it about um, Sherlock Holmes racing through time to stop? um, No, not, not Sherlock Holmes. It's H.G. Wells. Oh, that's right. H.G. Wells. Wells is chasing Jack the Ripper, and it's fantastic. Malcolm uh, McDowell, Mary Steenberg, and uh, David Warner. It's it is a. I love this film. I I this, I, I had a great time with this film. But you know, I'm a big Malcolm McDowell fan. And yes, I when I saw Nicholas Meyer on there, I got very excited uh, because of my affinity for this film. Yeah, that was his first film directing. So. Yeah. And it's one of those I really want to see. We need to put that on some list somewhere so I can force myself to watch it because it's one that has always piqued my curiosity. It's got a terrible tagline. <laughs> the tagline oh, is, H.G. Wells races through time to catch Jack the Ripper. That's that's it. Wow. Yeah. Talk about just, <laughs> yeah, just putting it out just there. Just laying it right out there. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Too funny. So anyway, uh, and then yeah. and then he directed the big thing from my youth, the day after that my mother wouldn't let me watch because it was about the end of times, nuclear holocaust, and everybody else got to watch it, but uh, I did yeah. not. I I did not see that one either. Uh, it was a, it was a TV movie about what happens when a nuclear attack happens in the United States and. And, you know, all these nuclear bombs come flying in and people die and turn to skeletons and all sorts of crazy stuff. And I just remember friends in elementary school who would draw pictures of what happened for me so that I knew. And I was just like, oh, wow, I can't believe I missed it. They drew pictures like they're like like, courtroom artists. It's like, well, you know, friends, boys are into the disgusting stuff. So I had a friend who would draw like the skeletons sitting on a hillside after the bomb flies over and stuff. So. You know, it's funny that I haven't seen that because my mom, on the other hand, was really quite into disaster prep, and she made me watch the original On the Beach. Do you remember that one? Gregory Peck and Fred Astaire. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so that one was, uh, that's an, uh, you know, um, uh, is uh, is the Australian apocalypse. Right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so I'm really surprised I haven't seen uh, this other one. Hmm. Anyhow, go ahead. So yeah, well that's Nicholas Meyer. I I, I think that he does a, a deft job directing this. I think it moves pretty well, and I have fun watching it. As silly as the whole film is, I mean, gosh, you know, in a film where this this is what gets me about what the writer said. I'm getting more bothered about this now. <laughs> we see the map where, right at the beginning of the film. Talk about breaking the fourth wall. We see the the car chase on a little Raiders of the Lost Ark style map of as Tom Hanks is being chased by <laughs> right. the, the bad guy. And you see the two little dots racing around 
the Manhattan area as they as as he's trying to get to the airport to where his, uh, his roommate Xander Berkeley is, and and we see it go the dots go to the airport and then the car bursts through the map. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> You have an excellent point, sir. Oh, uh, but point. no, it's the subtitle scene that ruins the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Oh, that's good. But yes, but Xander Berkeley did pop up as the roommate. It, it's nice to see him. Um, he also ends up uh, working with Tom Hanks later uh, down the road in uh, what is the other film that he did with Tom Hanks? Apollo 13. He was uh, in Mission Control. That's right. That's right. Yep. My goodness, though, Xander Berkeley. Talk about <laughs> uh, a, a guy you can't unsee, <laughs> right? Sure I mean, he's, that, uh, he's been in about him, yes. everything. Yes. He is he one of those actors that has a credit list like the a Hollywood studio system actors of the 30s and 40s, right? I mean, he the, he's got 222 credits on his IMDb page. Uh, that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of work. Yeah, I think when actors work as supporting characters or bit players a yeah. lot, they end up just doing a lot of projects. So yeah. I mean, he keeps himself busy. Very, very busy. I loved him in 24. I, you know, as, as many problems as I have with Air Force One, I still enjoyed him as the, as the one of the bad guys in that film. I, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to call it a guilty pleasure, a little bit of a guilty pleasure series that I'm almost finished with is all 14 seasons of CSI, the original Las Vegas one, right? So I'm in the Holy middle of that. Cow. Yeah. And I'm I have about 30 episodes left. So wow. just about a season and a half. And uh he was actually um the sheriff in season I was like 2005, 2004, somewhere in there. So it was great to see him in that and then to watch this movie and see him so young. I was that was very exciting. Hmm. Uh so very interesting. Yes, indeed. Um he's great, very small part in this film. Yeah, very much a bit part, yeah. just like um, Alan Arbus, who also has a bit part as the as the bookie that Tom Hanks owes the money to. He is uh, probably best well known as the psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Freeman on MASH. Oh, nice. Totally misplaced that. It's the, one of those faces that you just yep. recognize, you know? Totally. And then, of course, there's George Plimpton. As <laughs> dad. Playing dad. And I mean, it just it just seems like the perfect role for George Plimpton, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what does he What does he say? Oh, the, he has that great line that I haven't been able to find when when his dad when his son Lawrence comes in and says, "Dad, I need twenty eight thousand dollars, or these guys are going to kill me." And he says oh, something like, "It'll say? be a good lesson for you," or something. But he says it in a way that is just awesome. He says, um, "And I'm not going to, and I'm not going to give it to you." Isn't that what he says? That yeah, line? something like that. Right. It'll be like it'll be a lesson. They're going to kill me, Dad. And he says something ridiculous. Well, I'll have to find it. Anyway. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the bit about how it's uh, I'm teaching you self reliance and an opportunity to learn to use a walker. <laughs> <Something like> that. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, he he delivers it all so well. He's he's great in his bit part that he has. Yep. But I have fun watching him. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, anybody else you're super excited about? Uh, yes. One more. One more. One. All right. James Horner. Oh. Good old James Horner. Sad, sad, sad. Yes, yeah. James Horner, who had just worked on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, with Nicholas Meyer. 
came along for the ride to uh, to do this film. And I just love the theme in this film. It's a great theme. It's a lot of fun. And it just has this rousing sort of uh, kind of adventure sort of sound to it. I think it's a great score. I don't think it's ever been released um, other than like uh, like one track, like the end titles on on uh, compilations of Horner's work. But uh, I've always wanted this soundtrack. I think the music's great. But uh, yeah, good old James Horner. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to listen to it. Uh, I'm going to have to watch it again just to hear it because yeah, I can't I can't place it all of a sudden. Yeah, that's good. It's good. You, you like? Should, you yeah, should listen to it. Yeah, I will do it. Yeah, James Horner. This film is, of course, a uh, a bit of a spoof of some of David Lean's films, like Lawrence of Arabia and The Bridge on the River Kwai. And in fact, there is uh, two wonderful little nods with John Candy's character. At one point, when he's on the bridge, he does actually whistle the Colonel Bogey march briefly. And another point, right at the end, when they're about to blow up the bridge, where he looks up and he says, "What have I done?" Right before they blow up the bridge. It's just <laughs> all those silly little nods to it. But it, yeah, it's fun. It is and it, fun. Yeah, I have a great time with it. So yeah, that's the movie. That's my guilty pleasure. All right. All right. Well done. You did it. I did it. Yours is over. Phew. Shall we, shall we rank it? Or how did no, it do? Let, let, do you have yeah, money? Let me tell you how it did. Did it make yes. any money? You know... <laughs> <laughs> I think in uh, both of our cases, um, we're going to be, I mean, we're not quite scraping the bottom of the barrel, but we're definitely down there. Uh, this film cost uh, $25 million to make, which is about 54 uh, and a quarter million in today's dollars. It ended up making, uh, domestically, not quite $20 million. Uh, I couldn't find any international figures. I don't, I'm not sure how big of an international release it got, but that's about $43 million. Um, adjusted. So all told, this film did end up losing a little bit at the box office. It lost about one hundred and four thousand dollars per finished minute. So yeah, it's in the it's in the negative column on our list. Well, that's... but it's not as bad as Baron Munchausen <laughs> as far as losses go. I guess uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now I think we should try and rank it. Let's do it. All right. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, everybody, and make sure you uh, have an account over there and you can see our um, all of our films. Now, 190. This will, this will make 195. 195. All 195 of them. And we'll see. Uh, uh, we'll just see if it we'll see if it breaks the top 10. Might, we'll see if Volunteers <laughs> ends up on our 2015 t-shirt. Well, you know, <laughs> if it were up to me... <laughs> No, it wouldn't get I don't I don't even still. think if it were up to you. <laughs> no. No, but it would do it would do decently cuz I do have fun with this film. But we'll see. All right. I'm going to have to step back a little bit. <laughs> this will be hard being critical, but we'll make it work. Volunteers <laughs> <laughs> or oh brother where art thou? I I, will, I kind of want to test you. I I oh brother where art thou I know is the better film. Okay. As much as I would Put volunteers on first. Really, you would. <laughs> really, I yeah. It's, it's okay. You know, no. I just want to test the strength of your will. I just want to yeah. understand I, the strength of I your. I am giving drive. you right out of the gate. Look at yeah. that. Right out of the gate. That's good. No, you're very generous. Volunteers or the Sandlot. Now I would do volunteers. <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy the Sandlot, but I yeah. would pick volunteers here. I I would uh, I I would do the Sandlot. Yeah. 
So how, how, how much would you do volunteers? Are we going to, do we need to start? I, I'll give you the sandlot. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's generous of you. I just, you well, know, I'm, this is a guilty sure pleasure and I, it don't, is. I have I, a hard time I, feeling I, reciprocal <laughs> generosity. <laughs> I know. Well, all right. Volunteers are major league. Now here, I will definitely say volunteers. That's a hard one for you. You're going to say uh, volunteers. Okay. Um, you know what, Andy? This one's on me. You can have it. Hey, all right. Okay, all right. Uh, by the way, just as an aside, when I was uh, in my uh, late junior high, early high school days, I started collecting movie posters, and I got every Tom Hanks movie poster there was, and I had volunteers hanging prominently in my room. <laughs> Do you still have it? I still have all of them, Yes. Wow. All my movie posters are rolled up in tubes in the closet, wow. <laughs> unable to go anywhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. You know, they're practically vintage. Like, you don't have to wait too much longer before putting those up will make you cool again. Even volunteers. <laughs> what about bachelor party? <laughs> I'm going to hang that one in the bedroom. <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, volunteers are the game. I will definitely say the game. Okay, good. We are in violent agreement. Didn't have to struggle there. Volunteers are Prometheus. Definitely volunteers on this one. <laughs> wow. Oh, I know. Wow. I You know, even with challenges uh, that I had with Prometheus, I didn't have as many... <laughs> <laughs> I would I would likely watch Prometheus again. Uh, I, I'm not even likely. I would watch Prometheus again before Volunteers. All right. Well, let's do it. All right. All right. Here we go. Ready? Ready? One, One two, two, three. three scissors. Paper. Oh. Mm. One for the All right. books. Prometheus it is. Volunteers or My Dinner with Andre? I enjoy My Dinner with Andre, but it's not something I will likely watch for a very long time yeah volunteers I, I, wins for me i'll give you uh volunteers on this one uh because you know it how do you how do you defend uh andre <laughs> in this context it's practically a documentary yes right volunteers are defending your life defending your life volunteers absolutely defending your life okay then let's do it <laughs> okay <laughs> one, one two, two three, three. Paper. paper. Oh. All right. One, One two, three. three. Paper. Ooh. <laughs> okay. One, One two, three. Paper. Rock. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. 168 out of 195. Hmm. You know. No, he gets a guilty pleasure. Yeah, it's pretty high for a guilty pleasure. I'm going to feel okay with that one. <laughs> you, should. <laughs> you should feel okay with that one. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, this was, uh, a, this was an interesting way to open our very short 2015 Guilty Pleasure series. It is definitely guilty and clearly brings you great pleasure. And uh, that, is, uh, that is enough. That is enough for me, man. We go <laughs> next week to my guilty pleasure, which came out just the next year, 1986. Uh, this is uh, Prince and Kristen St- Scott Thomas, Jerome Benton, 
directed by Prince. We're talking, of course, about Under the Cherry Moon. I, I can already tell I think I feel even more guilty than you do about your film. I feel about this film. Yes, but I there's do. A, I do. There's, there's a lot, a lot of, of guilt to have with it. <laughs> I would also say, though, interesting to note that the Rotten Tomatoes audience score for your film is 34. percent The Tomato Meter, the the all critics aggregate score is 58. percent Right. Under the Cherry Moon flip flops. Right. Where you get the Tomato Meter at 25, percent but the audience score 70. percent Somebody. Is with me. Yeah, on Prince has his fans, just as Tom Hanks has his. That's right, right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next week, then, Andrew, I'm gonna go to bed. All right, I'm gonna sign up for the Peace Corps. start uh, from Robert the Vine Voice. He says, this is a movie Tom Hanks would like to forget. It is a one-star review. Mm. But he opens his review saying, I'd like to give this zero stars. This lame film set in Southeast Asia is a complete waste of time. I love John Candy and I miss him very much, but would not watch this film again if it was the only way to see John. And Tom Hanks has become one of the greatest living actors. That being said, this film stinks. It's poorly written about some Peace Corps types dealing with some way overdone CIA types. Rent or buy planes, trains, or automobiles. You'll be a lot happier. Yeah. Mm. That, although surprisingly, Andy, I am stunned to say that this film has an average out of sixty reviews. It averages four point three out of five stars. This film is is much more it's, popular on Amazon. It's well loved because there are many people out there who know how great it is, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine is a five star by A. J. Greep who says two thumbs up from a returned Peace Corps volunteer. And I'd like to comment that there are a number of Peace Corps volunteers who have comments as how much they love this film. So AJ says, being a returned Peace Corps volunteer myself, I find this film hysterical. The first time I saw it, in fact, was while in Peace Corps at a training session with fellow volunteers. We couldn't stop laughing the entire time. It's just ridiculously overdone and wonderful because of it. Sure, it's campy and the jokes are predictable, but it was never meant to be a highbrow film. The jokes are often over the top and half the plot is totally unrealistic, but it's funny nonetheless. Perhaps more so, if only because of these things. I highly recommend this movie. John Candy and Tom Hanks always shine as a comedic pair, and this movie is no exception. Hank's cluelessly privileged character, coupled with Candy's overzealous patriotic naivete, is a perfect comedic matchup. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> I think it's funny that they're still watching this film at the Peace Corps. Uh, uh, maybe not so funny that there has not been another added to the subgenre, comedy subgenre of Peace Corps. Yeah, uh, we need to we need to get a new uh, a new subgenre Peace Corps film out there. Yeah, we the, really uh, clearly we do um, because it's unfortunate for the Peace Corps that this must set the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. Pretty mm-hmm. funny.
Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.